0: Hi guys, my name's Adele Yango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hi, I hope you had a great week. I have spent the last couple of days bonding with my app that helps me with anxiety, which is MindShift. So this episode I really want to talk about that. My week started off really well, slightly busy because randomly in Kenya, We had a holiday that was scrapped years ago, brought back. So the week was disrupted. And I am busy trying to get ready for a potential trip I'm meant to be taking. Initially, I thought this country I'm going to doesn't need a visa. Turns out it does. (laughs) So I spent the beginning of the week like running around like a headless chicken, trying to get all my documents in order. And it was really stressful. (laughs) But on that particular day that I was going to apply for my visa, um, I met very many strangers who just helped me from the lady at the embassy. I mean, they closed at 1 p.m. I arrived at 12.45. I didn't have all the documents. And she was like, it's fine. There's a mall nearby. Go and print out A, B, C, D. I I will wait for you. Can you imagine? I was like, Aki, God bless you. <laughs> Go to the mall, print out all of these things. I'm at the validating machine to pay for my parking. I didn't have cash cash. So I was going to use mobile money, which everybody in Kenya does in 2019. (laughs) We are ahead like that, surely. And they're like, oh, no, this machine doesn't um, take M-Pesa. Like, all right, there's an ATM in this mall. I will go withdraw cash and come back down. Of course, the ATM only gives me a 1,000 Bob notes, which is high denomination. Come down, and they're like, by the way, this machine does not take big money. <laughs> <laughs> what does this machine take, surely? At this point, does it take anything? So I'm standing there with all of my printed documents, my handbag. Like, my face just looks like I am going to die because that woman at the embassy is waiting for me. Anyway, so the guards clearly reads my body language and she's like you know what just send me on my mobile phone via mobile money how much your parking is which it was 50 shillings and i'll pay for you and you you know you go sounds like thank you so much got in the car rushed back to the embassy and everything worked out well so that day i was like aki thank god for good humans Because otherwise that day could have really gone left. Then comes Friday, so I'm working on a project to be able to take survivors of rape through group therapy sessions. So I need to fundraise for this because I don't want the survivors trying to think about costs and blah blah blah. So I have a meeting at a mental illness medical center. Um, which is amazing because I go there, I find out their costs are really, really good. So we go there and it's like a home setup. It's nice and green. It's relaxing. You can sit in the back in the garden. And when we're walking in There's a lady who stops me and asks me about my handbag. She's like, oh, I make handbags as well. She identifies that my handbag is from Ethiopia. So I'm like, okay, she really knows her leather and her stuff. I didn't know if she was a patient or member of staff because it's a very open, homely policy they have, I think. Well, from what I gathered. Anyway, so we're going for the meeting, come out, and the same lady stops me again, and she shows me her handbag that she has. I'm like, oh, it's pretty cute. And she's talking to me and I can tell something is wrong. But I also feel for her and I don't want to back out of this conversation because of her situation. I'm pretty sure people have dismissed her before. And now I'm an empath. So once that thought crosses my mind, I just start empathizing with her, with everybody around there because we're in the lounge area. And like my heart is just now... On another level. And everybody who we're meeting has walked out. They're not waiting outside. And I'm just consumed by all of these thoughts. Just thinking how unfair it is. (sighs) Anyway. End the conversation. Go outside. And I can tell that now I am not 100. But I'm like, it's okay. What I normally do when I feel overwhelmed by my thoughts, I catch that first thought before it gives birth to 10,000 negative thoughts. So I'm like, it's fine. We're still in the early stages. (laughs) We can arrest the situation. And we have to arrest the situation because later this evening, you are on a panel. So on my drive home, I put on the most motivating, calming music playlist ever. But I'm not interested in in the music, which is strange. Or rather, which is like a red flag for me. Because what I, I love driving, it calms me down. I love listening to my own playlist when I'm driving. I create ideas while I'm driving, listening to music. I calm down when I'm driving, listening to music. It's just one of my many happy places. But now this music was doing nothing for me. Not even the driving was helping. And I get home... And I'm doing my breathing exercises. Even when I was driving, I was doing these breathing exercises. And when I get home, I'm like, Amma, maybe I should just cancel. Like, maybe I should just say I'm not in the right frame of mind to be able to be on this panel. But then I feel bad because it's um, at a university. And the university students had put together the first ever women's only debate. And people had told them they couldn't pull it off. But they did. And they had... Female university students from different countries come into Kenya for this. And so I was just like, nope, you can't ravish all the work that they've put into this. You gotta go. Plus, also, you're not a good liar. So what are you going to say is your reason for <laughs> canceling? I get dressed after about two hours. I get dressed and I head over to this university for the panel talk all of this while i'm trying to control i don't know if this happens to you guys as well like self-doubt is so fucking crippling and sometimes when my self-doubt gets too much i say the most mean things to myself and i hate when i do that when i i tell myself how useless i am i'm just really mean to myself sometimes when my self-doubt gets ahead of me. It's almost like I use those mean words to justify the self doubt where I'm like, but you're lazy and you're not smart and do you even deserve to be on this panel? Like why? Why? And so I'm having all of these thoughts and I'm trying to arrest them and my mind is just on overdrive. And then we have this panel conversation happens and at one point a student stands up and she shares a story of her friend who was in a class in the university, and after the class, this fellow st- male student comes up to her friend, touches her friend's boobs, and basically is like, "Well, I touched your boobs. What are you gonna do about it?" In campus, guys. <sighs> so then she starts crying, and I'm like, "Bass, can feel my tears." Immediately after her, they give us uh moment to say our closing remarks because all of this was happening towards the end of the talk i opened my closing remarks by saying i really don't think i should have a mic in front of me right now it's probably the only time i've ever gotten emotional on stage guy it was just a lot (laughs) and i guess the day had just been a lot and then i'm like now what is all this now right it triggered a lot of things for me, understandably, right? Anyway, so I leave this venue and I'm thinking maybe I should call my sister. Maybe I should not be alone this evening because my husband um is... Well, was away. By the time you're hearing this, is probably back. But he... I had traveled because of his rallying and and he's in the rally commission. So he was going to oversee a rally that was happening in another county. Anyway, so I drive home and then I'm like, by the way, you actually have tools to help you with what you're feeling. So why have you decided that you're not going to use them? Even you, who's going to help you? So what I do is I open up the health folder on my phone because that's where all my mental apps are. And I go to MindShift. The first thing MindShift asks is, how are you today? Just like I am not well, please. (laughs) Things are not all right. And then, you know, it asks you, let me then open it so that I phrase it the way it does. Yeah, it asks you, choose a tool to help manage your anxiety. So I choose healthy thinking. Because at the time, now my self-doubt is on overdrive. My anxiety is setting in. And now... My anxiety is consuming everything I'm doing. I'm thinking about my life, my career, my relationship. Like it's just given birth to madness. I open the thought journal. What I write is, I'm worried that my projects will fail, that I don't have a clear roadmap to my vision, and that there is no space for me. So even as I was writing that, I'm like, wow, how have we reached here from the events of the day? Like how has it escalated to this point? So the next thing that MindShift asks me is to identify three thinking traps that are associated with what I'm worried about. So the three thinking traps, and basically thinking traps are unhelpful ways of thinking, all right? And those thinking traps fuel your anxiety. So I picked fortune telling, which basically is... I am believing that I can predict the future. I'm here saying how I am worried I am going to fail. All right, Adele, how do you know you are going to fail? Please, um, I also picked over generalizing because those are such general statements. Like, how have you arrived here? And the other thing that I picked was unsure because I think that was the basis of everything. Then I open up in each thinking trap. It asks you, are you 100% sure what the future holds? What else could happen? What's most likely to happen? In the second one, it asks you, is there evidence or examples that show that this isn't completely true all of the time? And then the last one for unsure is, is there still a more helpful way of thinking about the situation? What would I say to a friend who's having the same thought? That last sentence really struck a nerve with me because I do actually dish out a lot of advice <laughs> to my friend i'm done for writing a long whatsapp chat to help you (laughs) with your situation and so then i thought about it i was like yeah you know i was talking to a friend who's going through what i'm going through or having this anxiety that is so vague and it's unfounded i'd probably be like how have you decided that this for sure is how the future is going to end up and can we create a plan to how we can achieve this vision anyway so i do all of that and basically when you go through this thinking traps then you have to revise what you initially wrote so remember i initially wrote i'm worried that my projects will fail that i don't have a clear roadmap to my vision that there's no space for me so now my balanced thought after this exercise became i'm not 100% sure i shall fail I always figure shit out, which I do. You can't predict the future. And the last thing was, because remember I'd said that there's there's no space for me. So the new balance thought said, make your own space. (sighs) And funny enough, after I did that, I did feel a lot more centered. I'm a lot more, (sighs) if there's a word for that, I don't know it my mind started clearing out. It really started clearing out. I think one of the reasons that I love using MindShift is because I love writing. So, and I love that when I write down my thoughts, especially at the beginning of what could be an anxiety attack, seeing how irrational they are after writing it, I'm just like, but surely now Adele, how have you arrived here? How, how have we gotten here? But I am still very concerned about how much I'm doubting myself. I'm just like, eh. (laughs) Surely, <laughs> can you be kinder with yourself, and can you believe in your in yourself? I remember when I was super emotional about my job. I knew I hated the environment. I knew I was losing myself. I knew that I needed to leave, but I was scared. I have never been so consumed by fear, and so I'd have very many moments where, like, I'd be okay hanging out with my husband. He leaves me for two seconds. He comes back. I am in tears. <laughs> Like, full-on crying. And he's like, did somebody come here? Has somebody hurt you? What has happened? And I remember getting mad at him because I was like, why are you not panicking? Like, <laughs> why are you calm? Why? <laughs> and I remember he told me, and so I always go back to that moment. He told me, a, there's no way he's going to let us fail as a unit, as a partnership. And then he told me something that was like, oh man, Adele. He said, and I also really believe in you. So I'm not worried about you. Like, I genuinely just believe in you. And that for me was a reminder, like, that I had stopped believing in myself. Um, so whenever I have this crippling self-doubt that morphs into these mean statements that I tell myself. I always go back to that moment. I'm like, oh, please believe in yourself, Adele, for heaven's glory. Just believe in yourself. But yeah, so that's where I'm at currently. And I would really love to know if any of you uses any apps for your anxiety. Which apps do you use? Do you also use Mindshift? Is it helping? Is it Not. What exercises do you do? Do you count backwards? Do you do the breathing exercises? So you can just drop a comment or you can send a WhatsApp chat, WhatsApp audio note to the podcast hotline, which is plus two, five, four, seven, six, eight, six, two, eight, seven, nine, zero. Right now, though, I wanted us to get into a hundred African stories. I recently took a hundred African stories on location to... JKUAT, Jomo Kenyatta University for Agriculture and Technology. Yes, I remembered it fully. <laughs> and so that's actually outside of Nairobi. It's in Kenya. It's in a place called Juja. So we had to drive. That's my driving sound. <laughs> and we went out there. I met a young lady called Aggie, who's not a student at JKUAT. She actually was in the University of Nairobi, but she does a lot of work with university. University students in J.K.Watt And work that I think is beautiful, is necessary But hey, she has a brilliant story, here we go A 100 African stories There is no proper life that you live in University as a musician
1: If I constantly just walked around feeling sorry for myself I'm never going to get anything done Uh, There was a bit of frustration in between all of that. I've been breaking my back for this company Therapy is not for the weak or for the crazy Stories from Africa My name is Agnes. Anyango Olo. I am from Kenya. I grew up in Kisumu, which is the lakeside city of Kenya, but I currently live in Kiambu. I work with students in the university uh, in Jikwat with this organization that's called The Journey. Uh, we are people on a journey, and I joined The Journey in 2013 as a student at the University of Nairobi. I was studying economics and statistics, uh, but there was this group of people who came to my room, actually, to invite me. <laughs> into their space and I was like okay cool I'll come and I I showed up but the thing that happened in that in that season I was just in my first year what happened was I was coming from home in Kisumu and coming to the capital city uh, the big capital city that we had heard about I had only visited it twice yeah. before, alone. I have like three elder brothers, older brothers. The se- our second born who was in charge of me yeah. then did not really want me to come. It was a whole thing because um, before that I had had my rebellion phase. I was just 17 and I was just done with being at home. My, my brothers practically raised me because our parents died when we were younger. So what happened is me coming to to University of Nairobi alone. I'm the last born and I'm the only girl. It was not working for him. It's just like, first of all, I have had this rebellion phase. And then he's like, now what are you going to do in the city alone? We had a big fight about it. And then he just was like done with me. Mm -hmm. So he sat me down and he told me, you're going to be arrested. You have an ID. Don't call anyone. Figure yourself out. And I was like, okay, I am going. I had a bag, a suitcase, one suitcase, and I carried it and I came to school. That situation was not an easy one to be in. It was, it was the, it was the kind of things that just you are in a place that you literally do not know anyone, and you literally do not know what you're doing because this is you just taking a chance on yourself, but you don't know anything could go wrong, and all his doubts could come true, and all these fears were in my heart, and so I was in the middle of this crisis, and I'm alone. Like, there's no support, there's no, like, even money, even whatever. So I'm, like, trying to figure out help and how that is going to work and how I'm going to eat and how I'm basically going to survive out here in the jungle, <laughs> um, as it had been put. And so I'm in the middle of this crisis, and then these people come, and they're like, come and join our community. And I'm like, okay, I guess, because it's not, it's not like I was doing anything. That first week you joined campus, there's nothing happening. So I went showing up to that community and then it was just these people they're vibrant there's music and there's color and they've set up and there's, it's just beautiful and I was like okay cool so I'm here now I get to meet these random people and they're just smiling and they're happy to see me and I'm like what is the problem what yeah. is, why are these people happy uh, but yeah I show up to that space and uh, for some reason I keep showing up I guess because of the crisis with my family at that time I found or I needed a space like the journey to like to hold me yeah. uh, and they did and and I stayed in the journey for like for all my campus life but in my first year I was basically cruising (laughs) and they were cool like they they fed me sometimes and I was like super broke I made these cool friends that are some of them are still my friends to date but in my second year we had this camp camping experience out in the wild and it was called camp beautiful mess so you were basically meeting your demons like Mm. (laughs) literally meeting your demons so the first six weeks before that camp we were talking about fear anxiety Mm. anger uh, there was shame, guilt, all those different things. And every single week was like, these guys have been sent. Mm. Like someone is sending them to come and talk to me. What's the problem? Like, okay. Because I was already, I was still in that space. My The situation with my family had not gotten better. I had not gone home mm. since I came to campus. And so I was just like, okay. Fine. We are going for this camp. Maybe there's something, um, and so I go, and we go on this quiet, silent walk, and we are told to just process what has been happening within us in these six weeks. And so we go. We are walking. We are quiet, and I can feel my heart like giving in. Like I can't. I can't think about everything that I'm carrying, um, and so I. I We come back and then we are told to sit down and journal and write everything that we have processed or the different things or nudges that we have felt. And so I come back, uh, I sit down to, to journal, I start writing and I'm writing and something, and then I just start weeping because I can't. Uh, every, I guess every single pain that I had carried um, in my heart uh, concerning my parents dying and being raised with my brothers and the different difficulties that comes with that kind of situation and the shame that came with, with just different things yeah. that happened in that context was just all coming to this moment. Mm. And it all like just blew up there and I broke down. I could not try it. My pages were just like... And so this lady called and came to me and she was like, are you okay? Because she could see me shaking but she was behind me. So she didn't come to the front. She just touched my shoulder from the back and she was like, are you okay? And okay. I was like... No, I'm not okay. (laughs) Everything is not okay. And I'm just having this moment. And she was like... She took my book and she was like, Okay, finish. Mm. Just have your moment. And I had my moment. And I... I say that that particular moment was my moment of mourning for all the losses that Mm -hmm. I have experienced. But it also birthed something in me uh, to just want to create such spaces for people to come face to face with themselves and with the things that they are most afraid of coming face to face with. That moment was profound but it was not everything i guess when i came back to campus my things were still there my my shame my struggles were still there yeah. but i was now more aware of okay so i have this particular um guilt about being here alone uh, against the wishes of my brother and i feel like i have dishonored him and so what does that mean what do i do with this or um i feel i feel ashamed about not being able to afford everything that I would need mm. and have people help me, that's a struggle. And that's those are some of the things, that, those are some of the questions I had to wrestle with. And it, it takes a lifetime. Mm. <laughs> I think it takes a lifetime. But over time, uh, with wrestling and with figuring out where my different pains lie, I've been able to sort of heal the wounds that have been there. Yeah, now I'm here <laughs> working with students and just... Seeing some of my stories in them, in my third year of mm. university, he started reaching out. My brother Mike, <laughs> he started reaching out, and he ca- he actually came to school to my hostel. I was so nervous mm. because one, so him having raised me mm. meant that we have this complicated father brother mm. thing going on. So he's like my father, but he's not. Yeah. But he's my brother, but he's not. Like it's it's weird, yeah. uh, and and I never really knew what to do with that relationship for the longest time and so he's coming to my room he's coming to my hostel and he said i'm coming and so i can't say no don't want to say yes either. So it's complicated. So I'm like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? So I clean out my room, like, thoroughly. Because God forbid he finds a fault. And then it becomes a whole thing. Uh, So he comes and then, funny enough, I don't know what was happening in his space at that time because we hadn't talked for, like, close to two years at that point. He comes and he's just really kind to me mm. and he's like are you fine are you doing well are you okay and in my third year is when now he started sending me some money for upkeep and I was like I guess um this works eventually I hope and then he constantly started following up on me and not necessarily on my grades or how am I doing or whatever because we don't know how to have those conversations mm. between ourselves like for okay so what is happening
0: yeah.
1: no he's just be like so you fine. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and then that's it. Or maybe I need some money. And I'm like, at the end, like at the end, he's not my first call. But when I'm like, at the end, Kabisa, I'm like, okay, I need this. And then he'll be like, I don't have it. Or he'll give it to me. And that's the end of my interaction. But over time, uh, with those small, small deposits of of random things Mm -hmm, uh, that we did with each other. Our relationship improved. I I finally graduated and he came to my graduation and it was just a very... (laughs) Emotional family moment for all but so all my three brothers came mm. and we had a lunch at the house I was living in at that time with some of my friends yeah. and and these are my friends that I met at the journey like yeah. literally all of them so they came together my family didn't do anything like yeah. the three of them they just showed up yeah. and then all my friends were like okay um we are gonna do this we are going to cook yeah. and prepare the house and whatever and you just go graduate yeah. and then come back go with your brothers and so we go and then we come back and then um, and then everyone has to give a speech <sighs> yeah, it was heart-wrenching yeah, so it was such an emotional moment but in celebration so we were all I guess we were all recalling all the moments of of fights and wars and pains that we have had between ourselves and individually and it culminating to our last born graduating, mm. oh my gosh uh, it was really cool and I remember my brother my elder brother now, who's been cool all this time, he yeah. has. he's just like okay, do you? And he told my friends, he, he was like really emotional and he told my friends, um, thank you for taking care of my sister and just everyone was just going bonkers, mm. everyone was just losing it and we were all crying and bowling our eyes out it's just like oh my gosh they know like i didn't know all this some of them didn't know my whole story and they got to see some of it that day so it was like it was such a moment
0: it was such a moment catch our next african stories in the next episode i really love stories that end in happy endings and yes i'm not naive to the fact that not all stories do but when they do it just warms my heart And Aggie's story is amazing. Her energy is so right. I feel like you can hear it even though you've not met her. And I think, especially in campus, you do need peers who can hold your hand because everybody's carrying all of this baggage that now you're at an age that you can kind of identify the baggage. But you kind of need help figuring out how to make it not consume you a hundred percent. So I love what the journey is doing with the different universities that they work with. Also I think one of the reasons I really love this story and I love that she reconciled with her brother is because I speak to my sisters every single day. <laughs> like I have two older sisters so I'm also at last one like Aggie I've told the sisters, Anne Marie and Amanda, we have three years between us and we are three. So my mom clearly (laughs) overplanned, but I count them as my best friends. And other than my mom, I feel like they understand me on a level that nobody else does, just based on how we were brought up, not based automatically because they're my siblings, but because we were brought up in an environment that molded us. To grow connections amongst us as sisters, and of course, back in the day, like we would fight <laughs> sometimes physically when I was younger, especially with Amanda. She's the the middleborn, so the one I follow. Hey, <laughs> and then one day just stopped. Imagine before it was a wrestling. <laughs> Oh my god but you know and i just find it to be such a blessing and so you wish that everybody who has siblings has that connection but of course it's not always the case i just want to say a big thank you to you for listening to the podcast it hit me last week that we have been doing this every week for 30 weeks this is the 31st week for a podcast that was born from frustration and anger and tears To become such a beautiful space, oh my God, it just means the world to me. And that's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.